0: Two stories to begin with this morning. The first one is a story told about a minister that got invited to go preach, guest preach at a church uh, during the Lenten season. And so he went and he preached and he did what he thought was a pretty good job. You know, usually we get up here, we think we did a good job, but we wrote the message, right? So um, after the service, he was standing in the back and he was uh, greeting all the people in the line and, and he heard some people saying, Great job, good to have you, glad you're here. But well, this one kind of peculiar guy came through the line and shook his hand and said that sermon was terrible and then he walked off um, then he the guy got back in line a few minutes later and he came back and he said that was the worst sermon I've ever heard and, and and he still tried to shake it off and he kept shaking hands and the guy came back in his line he's like you are really a bad preacher you might want to think about doing something different and finally he pulled one of the elders from this church he's like can you tell me what is wrong with this guy? Like, who is he? And what he's doing? The guy said, don't, don't worry about him. He's just a little bit slow. What he does is he walks around the church and he just listens to what everybody else is saying and then he comes back and reports it. But don't worry about him, okay? <laughs> Second story, this happened yesterday. Clayton's basketball game. Fifth grade basketball. Um, there's something about kids' sports that make parents act unchristian, okay? Okay. Um, But about early in the second half, everybody's chirping, talking, chirping, talking. The other team was was pretty bad about it. Uh, Our coach, not great about it. I'm not the coach, by the way. But the referee blew the whistle in the middle of the half and he said, let me tell you something. I am the referee. I know the rules of basketball. I will officiate the rules of basketball. I do not need any of your commentary or your input. And he stopped, to which I just said, amen. And that was it, and he was off. You know, sometimes I think that in Christianity, there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of chatter, but it's Jesus who knows the rules, it's Jesus who we're called to listen to, and we need to block out all the other things. Today we begin the season of Lent. 40-day journey going to Easter, if you take out Sundays, because Sundays are already holy days, already the Sabbath. Lent is a season of soul-searching. It's a season of spiritual growth. Uh, It's a time for us to reflect, to look within our own hearts, uh, to to study the words and teachings of Jesus, which is why we're going to go through Mark's gospel. But we remember the time that Jesus went into the wilderness after he was baptized and he was tempted by the devil. That's how we get the season of Lent, this 40-day period. But on Ash Wednesday, I shared a couple of things. If you were here, you'll remember this, but here are four things that I challenge you to do during the Lenten season this year. The first one is this focus on Jesus. Block out all the noise and focus on Jesus. That's why we're studying Mark's gospel. The second thing is this, and don't look to me to set the example of this build margin in your life. Don't book yourself up silly every single day to where you can't grow and reflect and, 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 and nurture your spiritual soul. The third is this resist temptation. Whatever it is, it's different for everybody, but try to resist it and try to push back on it because that's what Jesus did in the wilderness. And then the fourth thing that I'm gonna tell you to do is do something intentional to grow. Go to a class on Wednesday night, read the Gospel of Mark on your own, journal, have a devotional life, but do something for this 40 day period that's gonna help you grow in your faith. Today we're beginning a series And it's on Mark's Gospel. And so I'm gonna challenge you to read and study Mark's Gospel as we go throughout the coming weeks. There are four Gospels in the New Testament that tell us about Jesus. Many of you know this, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew comes first, Mark is second, followed by Luke and then John. Matthew is the most Jewish of the Gospels. It begins with a genealogy that ties Jesus to the lineage of David. Matthew emphasizes the royalty of Jesus the only true king that we've ever known. Matthew has the Sermon on the Mount, which is one reason why it's so popular. Luke was a Gentile, a non-Jew, a physician, who also wrote the book of Acts. Luke emphasizes that Jesus was the sacrifice for the whole world, and Luke places a special emphasis on healing, and it contains the Sermon on the Plain. Now, John's gospel is different from the other three. We call the other three the synoptic gospels because they are similar, but John's gospel is the most spiritual of all the gospels. And he tries to look right into the mind of God, symbolized by the eagle. John's gospel contains both history and theological interpretation to some degree. But Mark's gospel is symbolized by the man because Mark gives us the most realistic picture of the human side of Jesus with which we can all identify. Most scholars agree that Mark was written around 65 to 68 AD, maybe even 70, about the same time that the temple was destroyed. The author is John Mark, who was a companion and scribe to Peter. And so many believe that Mark is the closest thing we have to an eyewitness account of Jesus' life and ministry, the eyewitness, of course, being Peter, and it was recorded by Mark. But if you read this gospel closely, or I say when you read this gospel closely, you will notice that there are many details found in Mark that could only have been recognized by somebody who was actually there with Jesus. And we don't see these details, per se, in the other gospels. Now, throughout the gospel of Mark, we find that the disciples don't always get it kind of like us, right? They don't always get it. They don't understand the type of Messiah that Jesus was and how he would save the world. They expected a military savior, a warrior who would overthrow the Roman government. The disciples are often confused and frustrated, arguing and missing the mark. Mark is very clear about the challenge of discipleship in his gospel. And so in chapter eight, here's what he says. If any want to become my followers... They must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world but forfeit their life? And if we're honest, we will spend our entire lives wrestling with these words. What does it mean to deny self in a self-centered world? What does it mean to deny self in a world that is largely driven by social media? What does it mean to lose your life, to save it? Today we start at the beginning. We have the proclamation of John the Baptist, preparing the way for Jesus, followed by the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River. Many ask, why do we practice believers baptism by immersion? We do it because that's the way Jesus was baptized. There's nothing wrong with being uh, sprinkled or, or christened, but in our tradition, we, we practice believers' baptism by immersion, the same way Jesus was baptized. But, but this is what it says. Mark writes, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. What does it mean to repent? Repent metanoia the greek word bet you're wondering that right what does it mean to repent it literally means to change your mind to change your behavior changing the course that you are on if we are to repent and change our ways then we must acknowledge that the former way of life that we were living was unhealthy unfulfilling but then we must follow up by actually changing our pattern of behavior you know many of us know that We need to make certain changes in our lives, but we just have a hard time doing it. We know that we need to pray more. We need to read the Bible outside of Sunday. We need to spend time in a small group or talking to other people about our faith. But we we have that in our mind, but we just don't do it. And what I'm saying to you is Lent is a time for you to do it, 40 days. Not that long. You can do this for 40 days. Now, if you look at verses 16 to 20 in chapter 1, you'll see that Jesus comes uh, to his disciples and he says, follow me to Peter and Andrew. In chapter 1, he says, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And for the disciples, that was their moment to decide. That was their moment to change. Um, I love to fish. How many of you are fishermen? Like to fish? Okay. (laughs) Okay. It's okay, ladies, put your hand up, right? But the fish, I like to go fishing. I like to fly fish, I like to bass fish. I hope I can fish this spring break. But you know what, Jesus was right. The best kind of fishing is to go fishing for people. That's fun, that's exciting. It's also really challenging because people are challenging. Jesus calls the disciples to follow him and it's an ongoing relationship and it changed their lives. The Christian faith is not an institution, it's not a creed, it's not doctrine, it's not theology, it's not about church politics or partisan politics, it's not about picking the right denomination or the right church or the right preacher, it's not about having money or power or numbers or getting your own way. Christianity is simply about following Jesus and developing a relationship with him that's ongoing. And we either have it or we don't. Or maybe we have it, but we've let it slip and we haven't paid attention to it in a while. Because if you follow Jesus, it's not going to be easy. There's so many things that distract us. We're we're all guilty of letting things come into our lives that crowd out our faith. While at the very same time, we say that our faith is so important to us. Following Jesus is still so important because it will change your life. It will change your marriage, your family, your friendships. But there's also things that you have to give up. You have to give certain things up along the way. What what are they? Well, selfishness, anger, resentment, greed, hatred, jealousy, regret, fear, toxicity, just to name a few. Following Jesus will change our life the same way it did the disciples in first century but we have to give some things up. We have to park some things that we know we need to let go of. Today, I wanna ask you one very important question to begin this series. One question I want you to think about this morning and in the coming days this week, and that question is this. Why do you follow Jesus? It's not a trick question. It's not good enough to answer, you know, I was raised that way. That might have been why you became a christian or why you were baptized but why are you still a christian why do you still follow jesus also is there a difference between being a christian and following jesus i was born into the christian faith in fact i was born into the christian ministry Uh, i had a grandfather in uh, uh, fort lauderdale great-grandfather pastored in atlanta my dad was in memphis and he came and joined us here so i was born into a christian family of ministers but that's not a good reason for me to say that's why I follow Jesus. It's one answer, it helped form me and shape me, but it's not the, the right answer or the only answer. Um, why do we follow Jesus? Why do you follow him? Why are you here today? What difference does he make in your life? That's what I want to talk about this morning as we begin Mark's gospel. And, and I want you to think about that question. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some of my, a few of my answers as to why I continue to follow Jesus. And I'm going to ask you to think about your answer to this as well. So the first thing that I'm going to say is, I follow Jesus because I believe in him as Lord and Savior. Lord in that I try to the best of my ability to do what he commands. To love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love neighbor as myself. But Savior, not just because I hope to go to heaven one day when I die, that's true, but because I believe that Jesus challenges me and saves me from all kinds of things in this world. What does that mean? He saves me from selfishness. He saves me from anger and resentment. He saves me from being lonely. He saves me from a life of meaninglessness and emptiness. He saves me from materialism and being attached to stuff. He saves me from cynicism and negativity. He saves me from superficiality and judgment. And as humans, see, all of us are prone to these things unless we take the words of Jesus seriously and push back on these things. We can't just say that Jesus is our Lord and Savior if we're not willing to live as though He's our Lord and Savior. And guess what? Many people want Jesus as their Savior but not necessarily as their Lord. Secondly, I follow Jesus because I believe that Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. John writes in his gospel, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. We have seen his glory, the glory of a father's only son, full of grace and full of truth. It's both. If we follow Jesus, we're supposed to be concerned with both grace and truth. Some people in our culture are all about one or the other. Some are so concerned about truth that if anybody doesn't adhere to their version of the truth, then they don't show grace. But others are so concerned about grace and showing mercy and compassion to others that they disregard the truth. But John says Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. It's not just one or the other, it's both. And the problem with criticism and judgment is that many people become so focused on what they think is the absolute truth that they forget to show grace. That's a problem in our culture. This is true, I am right, you're wrong, we can't be friends. They forget to cut people slack. They forget that everybody is struggling with something. Yeah, there's standards in the world, and Jesus calls us to those standards. But there's a lot of pain and brokenness in the world too. And so we are called to, to be aware of that and to help those who are hurting. You can't be all truth. You can't be all grace. You got to find the balance of both. That's true in your marriage. That's true in your friendships. That's true with your kids. Because going all one way or the other is going to be problematic. Third, I continue to follow Jesus 42 and a half years later because he provides the answer to so many of our world's problems. I mentioned an article on Ask Wednesday that was recently written by Tim Keller, it was in the Atlantic. And and Keller was basically warning of the dangers of individualism. He says this, American culture elevates the interests of the individual over those of family, community, and nation. For two centuries, America's religious devotion counterbalanced this individualism with denunciations of self-centeredness and calls to love your neighbor. However, it's a major concern that as America has become more secular, we are now experiencing more social fragmentation, more economic inequality, more family breakdown, and many other dysfunctions that weren't nearly as bad before. And when you look at the headlines, this is what you see. And so Jesus offers us an alternative way to live, because what we have found is that American life, as it has become more individualized and more self-centered, people are much more miserable. There is more addiction, there is more depression, there is more anxiety, and it's, all that stuff is kind of soared off the charts. So what that says to me is that people are looking for meaning and purpose, and they're looking in all the wrong places. We all want to know why we are here, Because if we don't know why we're here, then life just kicks the crap out of you every day. And even if you know why you're here, there's still going to be days when it does that. So the teachings of Jesus provide answers to our deepest questions. He helps us figure out our why. Finally this morning, I follow Jesus, and I hope you do too, because I believe with all my heart and I've learned this firsthand, that forgiveness is what leads to peace. And this is something that he teaches over and over again. In fact, not only do I believe in forgiveness, I don't think human beings can exist and survive and make it without it. With all of our conflicts, with all of our disagreements, with all of the divisions and the hostility, human beings must find a way to forgive each other or we will go through life as miserable, cynical creatures resenting all the things that have happened in our past. We will carry unnecessary burdens that will do nothing, nothing, but weigh us down. So forgiveness is a survival mechanism. It's absolutely necessary. We have to have it, because remember, when you forgive somebody, it's not just for their sake. They may not even know that you forgave them. It's for your sake. Don't even have to tell them. But you let go of that burden. These are some of the reasons why I follow Jesus, and I hope you do too. But I'm challenging you this morning to think about that question. Why do we follow Jesus? What difference does he make in our lives? And what are we prone to that without the gospel message and without these teachings, we will continue to do over and over and over again? I challenge you this Lenten season to dive in with me to Mark's gospel. We can't cover it all. There's only six weeks, right? But I promise you, my friend Will Williman, he wrote this book called Why Jesus. I'm recommending it uh, with this series. He said, he goes, a couple things I know. The people who say that they know Jesus the best or that pretend that they know Jesus the best usually don't. And he also said this other thing that I know. If you get to know Jesus, he won't leave you the same. Amen.